to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts back after two weeks of not being together. I am Nate Endries, hosting alongside Jake Deemer. Jake, uh, welcome back, I guess, to the two of us being together. How have you been? Good. I just got, um, as we speak, I'm bumping Charlie Morton down a few spots because he's uh, really struggling and a good day because that bum ranger suarez is off my team ranger suarez has been markedly better than charlie morton so far this year i mean he hasn't been good but charlie morton has been bad (laughs) yeah charlie morton's uh, very frustrating but i'm a buyer as as a pat from our dynasty league likes to say i am a buyer I've already declined a couple of trades for Charlie Morton. I think I'm just one of which I think I sent to you, right? Was, I think I think it was it for Morton. It was for Morton. Yeah, I can't I can't remember what I offered. I think it was Alex Wood and one other piece. Yeah, I don't remember who the second one was. Yeah. Anyway, welcome everybody into episode five. Uh, this is your week four look ahead. But first, of course, we're gonna look back at the third week. So Jake went four and two. Mike also went four and two. So everybody is everybody is doing well except for me so far this year. Matchup predictions. Both Jake and our guest combination are eight and four. The two guests being Nick and Mike, who both went four and two. I'm five and seven. So I have some ground to make up, but thankfully there's a long season ahead. Jake, kick us off with your first of three big takeaways from week three. All right, my first big takeaway is no disrespect to the West, but the East is the stronger division. It absolutely looks like a gauntlet right now. Uh, so that we just in terms of the median, four out of six in week two, four out of six in week three. Uh, they were all coming from the East. And it also looks we also have the top three scoring teams in the entire league all come from the East as well as five of the top eight. Uh, I know just record wise, we there's a split there as well. There's four teams that are above 500 in the East in comparison to only two in the West. So it really looks like the, the East is the stronger of the two brackets and maybe looking, I mean, I know we're really pretty good. A lot can happen, but. Maybe looking ahead, uh, getting that in the wild cards here coming out of the, the west side of the bracket might not be it might be an easier path than trying to come out of the east. Yeah, I am happy to be in the west. No disrespect received. I feel like somebody that's chilling by the poolside over here in the west division. Not that I'm really sitting pretty at third place with a 500 record, but I would be in fifth place in the West right now with that same record. So definitely happy to have landed in the West division this year. My first takeaway is that the Stephen Kwan hype train has officially crashed and burned. He, so I know that the first thing that Nick is going to text me or text the group when he hears this is we still over, he's still averaging over three points a game this season, which he had an incredible start. Wouldn't take anything away from that. Uh, and I think that he'll continue to be a fine piece. You know, he could go on hot streaks and he doesn't really ever score you negative points. So those hot streaks kind of seem to be propped up. 
more so than they would be for, for other players who strike out more. But I don't think that he's a player that you should covet. I've kind of held that stance from the beginning. He's scored less than two points per game over the last couple of weeks. So all that to say, uh, he's a fine player to roster. I do not think that he was the next coming of Mike Trout or anything crazy. Like we were seeing all these historical posts about Stephen Kwan the first week and a half of the season. You know, that happens at the beginning of the season. People get really excited. Jake, what was your second takeaway? Uh, so my second takeaway, and I wanted, I know we haven't really, we've given a lot of shine to some of the hot starters, but not this team. Uh, next, my second takeaway is Eddie's team is quietly very, it's very underrated. He's gone off to a great start. Uh, I know that I know that I don't think either one of us really expected it. I don't think we had him very high in the West Division rankings when we did our we, well, when we did our projections preseason or after the draft. But he's quietly put together a pretty good start to the year. Uh, I, I he hasn't made a whole lot of moves, so the roster is probably the same as I thought preseason, but. Pretty solid. He's gotten some good. I think Max Scherzer to this point has probably exceeded all expectations. Uh, Michael King has actually been pretty good, which is weird. Uh, he's gotten pretty much solid all around contributions, and that's despite Cattell Marte, which I didn't appreciate the Cattell Marte slander while I was on the podcast. But that is with Cattell Marte slumping, and that's one of his key hitters. Overall, pretty solid start for Eddie. Might be the be the contender this year that none of us really saw coming. Yeah, I mean, you're calling him underrated when he's sitting in a record of five and one, which would be good for second place overall in the entire league, first place in the West Division. So, yeah, Eddie's team has been great. I'm excited for him. Uh, it's just, I, I love fantasy baseball, as do you, as do a lot of us in the league. And I think that it was expected for Eddie to struggle last year with it being his first season. I think it was totally unexpected for Nick to succeed in the way that he did. So I'm glad that Eddie is seeing kind of a quick turnaround from his, you know, year one stutter and now being, you know, hot out of the gate here in year two. Hopefully he's really enjoying it. My second takeaway is that this is this is maybe I I feel like early in the season a lot of the takes that I make are just like okay here's how it's going to be for the season but that's just like the way that I like to provide content. My second takeaway is that Robbie Ray was a one hit wonder. So there have been multiple concerns with Robbie Ray over the years. The three biggest that I can recall, one is getting hit hard which has happened virtually every year, last year included, when he was the AL Cy Young. And it doesn't really concern me, you know, as an overall influencing factor in his profile. But I'm going to come back to that because there is a situation in which it is concerning. The second concern has been his velocity, which he gained increasingly over the past two seasons, you know, from 2018, or I'm sorry, from 2019 to 2020, he had velocity gains, and he increased it even more from 2020 to 2021. But this year, he's lost over two miles per hour on his fastball, which has reverted back to his 2019 velocity, and that's when he had a 460 
XERA on the year. Not good. And then the third biggest thing that's been a concern for Robbie Ray, maybe the biggest concern over the years is his control, which last year he cut down to a career best 6.7% walk percentage. And that drove for him a 25.4% strikeout to walk ratio, which is very elite. But this year, his walk percentage is up to 9.6%, which is still not bad, like relative to Robbie Ray's rough stretch from 2018 to 2020, where that was in the double digits. But the strikeout percentage has dropped nearly 12 percentage points, bringing him down to an 11.2% strikeout to walk percentage, which when you, the, I mentioned earlier, there's one scenario for me with Robbie Ray that getting hit hard is a concern. It's a, it's a problem. And that's when you have a low strikeout to walk ratio like he currently does. He's, that means he's putting guys on base. When you have traffic on the base paths, getting hit hard is a, is a very big problem. So I think that that means for Robbie Ray, last year, of course, was his best year. I can confidently say he is never going to have a year like last year again. I mean, that's just common practice when a guy wins the Cy Young Award. But I think we might be seeing one-hit wonder uh, territory here with Robbie Ray because he has not looked good this year. Jake, I know that was kind of a long one with some analysis. Do you have any thoughts to add to that before we move on to your third takeaway? I feel like I have to give thoughts because I've watched, I think Robbie Ray has made five starts. I've watched at least four of them, at least parts of four of them. MLB TV is the greatest purchase I've made all year. I've been watching so many. I, I get now that I feel like I have to actually watch more baseball now that I'm like, I'm it's amazing. Being more being more diligent about the, the rankings things. So I, I watch, I'm getting to watch a lot more of the pitchers that I want to see and not just, you know, the pirates. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyways, so I've watched most of the Robbie Ray starts. So I, I've really been, let me pull this up real quick. He's my starting pitcher 13 right now. That's it's, down from where I had him. Yep. Still not seems kind of high. Still seems kind of high. It is high. He's in yeah. the, he's, Still in the season, like that same block with, you know, Wheeler, Bieber, Rias, all the guys who have the velocity concerns. Okay, well, I only moved him down there recently. Uh, so you're not wrong about anything you were saying. So the first, I think his stats are a little, he, he got kind of unlucky with the weather, as weird as that is to say. Uh, so his first start was in Minnesota. It was freezing. So the weather was really wonky everywhere. A lot of pitchers struggled in it. I gave him a pass for that outing. Uh, second outing was against the White Sox. And this was I, this was the first game that I watched. And I can't believe that they that the umpires let them play because he was basically pitching through a monsoon. I was watching so, that game. Very yeah, unlucky. I gave him another pass there. So he doesn't get the pass against against Texas or, uh, or any of the other ones. So he doesn't the weather's not a factor there. So you're right in those last two starts. Velocity was way down. Didn't like it at all. When his velocity is down, the, his new approach, which I think he was sticking, as much as the walks have been up, this his approach doesn't look like it's changed a lot. It's just that without the extra velocity, uh, and I will say he was not locating well. He grooved a couple fast. He was grooving fastballs more than you want to see. But anywho. Explain what grooving means for people that wouldn't know what that is. So, okay. So Robbie Ray's whole 
whole spiel with his new approach is he he's mostly fastballs up, sliders away. That's basically what he throws the majority of the time. And that really works for him because his pitches have so much movement. Uh, obviously, he has other pitches. He's not a two-pitch pitcher, but that's that's his bread and butter. So when I say he grooves a fastball, well, he wants to leave, he wants to he's he's keeping that approach. If you watch where the catcher sets up, the catcher's majority majority of the time the catcher is setting up high. He's missing low, and or he's not getting high enough where to where it's out of the zone. He's hitting like letters, and hit when when that fastball is not coming in at 95 it's coming in at 92 it's a lot more hittable it also makes the slider it it also makes it easier to lay off the slider which the slider actually looked really good in his last start but his last start even though the results weren't quite as good i was i did come away feeling a lot more encouraged i know the walks weren't weren't good but his velocity was back up he was back up to believe he was sitting just under 94 and that's well up from where he was. So if I'm willing, I'm willing to give him a pass for the first two outings. Velocity is picking up a little bit. The strikeouts were back in his last outing. I know the walks were up. Strikeouts were back. So I don't think you're wrong in saying that he's, that he's a one hit wonder out. Like I don't, I don't see another, I don't see him performing to that level ever again, but like, I don't think he's going to be washed. Like this still looks like it works. I I think if the velocity comes back, then he's going to be fine. I think that right now I would not treat Robbie Ray as anything more than an SP three, you know, anywhere in that, anywhere in that 25 to 35 range is where I would, I'm not, I don't have my own set of pitcher rankings like you do, but that's probably where I would have him right now, which is markedly different from AL Cy Young, which is what he was last season. <laughs> but let's get to your third takeaway, Jake. Uh, so my third takeaway is that uh, Jerwin really, he lifted his self-imposed, uh, I don't know what we would call it, trade ban, I guess. Yeah, for like a day, and he's already made what, like two or three trades. Where is this coming from? What is he doing? Because he doesn't. He made, I think, like three trades all of last year, and he's all he's already over halfway to that. So I, just, I, Jerwin, I guess, is just being more aggressive out of the gate this year. Uh, maybe the trade limit was holding him back before. I don't know, but. It is, uh, I guess, if I take away was, I know that he gets like, I know he gets attached to his players, but I, I def, so I definitely didn't see, I did not foresee him being this aggressive out of the gate with making trades, especially a big one in which he traded away his first round pick. Yeah, that was surprising to me. I don't think that Jerwin is easily influenced by competitors but maybe maybe he heard what Nick and I had to say and he just decided that he was going to take a different approach this year I'm not taking credit for it but maybe it was just something that pushed him over the edge like yes I should try something different this year 
I'm actually going to come back to that because we're going to be doing a segment that Jerwin's team is included in later in the episode. My third big takeaway, uh, and this is kind of tooting my own horn a little bit, and it's still very early in the season, but I did want to talk about these guys because if I were to hit on this proportion of predictions, it'd be pretty crazy. My bold predictions so far are looking very strong. So I'm going to give you not just my hits, though. I'm going to tell you about my misses, and I have one that I think the jury is definitely still out on. And this is not just from our bold prediction segment in the you know the first and second episode of the season. It's kind of a compilation of things that I've said so far this year throughout our episodes. So the hits so far are Josh Bell, who is first baseman number five on the year. And my bold prediction was that he would be a top five first baseman. Pablo Lopez is starting pitcher 14 overall, while Sandy Alcantara is starting pitcher 26. Kyle Wright, I know he's pitching right now, and the start's just going okay. You see what he's actually doing. He had a tough first inning. I think he's since been able to rebound. He's playing the Mets right now, who have been a really tough offense this year. So he's through five and a third. He's given up three runs. So it's an okay start. He might make it out with a quality start, which doesn't mean anything for our league. But again, they call it a quality start for a reason. He's SP9 coming into tonight's start. So he's looking very strong. And Jake, this one's good news for you. Tyler McGill is SP7, only behind Max Scherzer in the Mets rotation, who is the number one overall starting pitcher so far this year. So... Lots of hits for me so far. The misses, which I've looked back at this year and last year, the way that we phrase, like, give me a bust from the first two rounds in terms of ADP, and then give me somebody that might return first-round value that's drafted outside the first three rounds, that is very, very hard to give a correct answer on. Maybe we need to, ch- maybe we need to change that in future years, because I feel like that is some steep criteria, but those have been my two misses this year. Cause Trevor Bauer is done. He's definitely not going to return first round value this year. And while this one could still change with an injury, which was my main concern, Clayton Kershaw has definitely been an ace so far. So he is definitely not looking like he will finish outside the top 100 players. The one that the jury is still out on for sure is Michael Lorenzen, who is, Sparp five at the moment. I said that I am buying that he could be a top three Sparp off of the waiver wire this year. He's, uh, I would say, on pace to do that if he can keep it up, but not currently a top three Sparp. So pretty interesting. Top three standings update in the East Division. We have in third place, Jake's fantasy baseball team with a four and two record. In second place, we have, I guess, he rebranded from good on paper back to weak pullout hitter. We have Sam's team in second place, like I said, with a 4-2 and two record. And in first place, Nick is holding it down. The only unbeaten team left, Freedom All-Stars, with a perfect 6-0 and record. And then in the weak division, sorry, the West division, uh, in third place, we have my team, Demons in the Infield, with a 500 record, three and three. In second place, we have the Walk Institute of Research. Jordan's team is four and two, and we've already mentioned it. But surprise leader in the West Division, Eddie, with a five and one record that is gone forever. So those are your top three standings updates 
so far. Jake, we have uh, some pretty big trades to discuss, but we're going to kind of start it with a, a a tiny little squeaker that I guess kicked off Jerwin's trading rampage. I gave up Daniel Bard and got from Jerwin Miles Straw. I'll let you kick off with your thoughts on this. I don't really have any. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I needed a center fielder. Jesus Sanchez has cooled off a lot. I really like Daniel Bard for what it's worth. I have him in both of my other two leagues. But relief pitchers, I think, are a dime a dozen outside of the the few at the top that are pretty elite. So, you know, I think that Daniel Bard's going to keep it up, but I can see a world where, he, you know, he has a couple blown saves in a, in a row and suddenly he's not looking so hot of a commodity. Miles Straw, I feel the exact same way about. He started hot. Let's see if he sustains it. Yeah, I guess like I think this is sort of a a select the uh, the premium version of your trade with Mike earlier in the year, where like these guys only have slightly less of a chance to end up back on waivers in a month. I'm talking yeah. about Ben Intendi for Andrus, which yep. I'm pretty sure yep. they're both back on waivers now. I think Mike picked so I dropped Ben Intendi a couple of days after I traded for him, and then Mike dropped Andrews and picked back up. Ben Intendi, so no harm, no foul. But yes, uh, I agree. Miles Straw, I think Jerwin took him. I'm only going off of memory, but I think he drafted him in the 12th round. I don't think that Miles Straw is a 12th round caliber player. So like he does, he's not going to have any keeper value, I guess, is what I'm getting at. So I, I agree with your assessment. Could go either way, or it could just be fine. That's, that's kind of what I intended it to be, is just fine. The next trade, the next two trades are much bigger than this first one. Let's kick it off with Jerwin's second trade. Him giving up Trey Turner and Luis Castillo. And in return, Mike giving up Brandon Woodruff and Tim Anderson. I'll lead us off. I love Brandon Woodruff, but I love Trey Turner way more. Um I'll always favor, like, even though you look at my roster and you'd think, like, okay, Nate loves to go after pitching because I I do have a lot of quality pitchers. So you just kind of see that, I guess, you'd think that my preference is to give more weight to pitching. I think for me personally, I'm just better at identifying breakout pitchers than I am hitters. So I think that's why my roster looks the way that it does. But when it comes to known commodities and at that elite known commodities i definitely prefer a hitter to a pitcher so i love what mike got in this deal trey turner and not to mention luis castillo i know he's coming off of a shoulder injury so that could really mess with his season but if he is just you know 85 percent of vintage luis castillo i think that this is an awesome return for mike don't get me wrong jerwin getting brandon woodruff to pair with kevin gosman lucas giolito Hopefully DeGrom comes back healthy. That is going to be a nasty starting pitching rotation. It's just hard when you take all of your eggs completely out of the offense basket and putting it in the pitching basket. Like I think that's a good recipe for success come playoff time, but to sustain that uh, waiting for or over an entire long season I think is pretty risky. What are your thoughts, Jake? Uh, I prefer Jerwin's side, but it's, I think a lot of that has to do with, I am not a Luis Castillo fan. I've never really 
have gotten me. I know that he's he's good, but he's always I've always kind of had him lower than the consensus. And you know, sometimes that's not always been great because he's finished, I believe, as a top 15 pitcher before, but I don't know. I'm just not not a really not a real huge Castillo fan. And on top of that, now he is the now he's the surgery. And uh there's a good chance that he could just be just be he's on the Reds. They aren't going to win any games, bad home park. There's just I, I just see a lot of ways that Luis Castillo isn't really an elite pitcher this year. So I don't I'm not huge on him. Trey Turner is the best player in this deal, though, like you said. And the downside for Jerwin is this leaves him dangerously light on the offensive side. Uh, I know that his offense has been okay so far. Uh but I think a lot of that has to do with just some guys who were who have he started when they're hot. Like I don't think that Wilmer Flores is going to be or Yandy Diaz, Anthony Santander. I mean, he's Isaiah kind of Falefa. That like none of these guys are, none of these guys are are these are waiver wire players. <laughs> exactly, those these are waiver wire players that will probably be back on waivers as soon as they're not, as soon as they're not hitting and. And he has a lot. He, his entire lineup, yeah, and if it's, they're not it's hot, a, are waiver wire players. Yeah, that's that's my worry here, is that most of his lineup is is waiver players, like you said. But that pitch, that pitching staff, man, that's going to be pretty nutty if all those guys come back and are healthy. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say but, my my thought is like, I would I would like. Jerwin side, like let's just say if he just gave up Trey Turner. But my my thing about this trade is if I if I saw this trade and it was Brandon Woodruff and Tim Anderson for just Trey Turner, I would think I would still think, okay, that's a trade that makes sense for both sides. The fact that Jerwin gave up, you know, regardless of your belief in him, Luis Castillo is a name which carries value. So I think that that was the tipping point for me. Like Woodruff and Tim Anderson would be a win for Jerwin if he just gave up Trey Turner. And I think that it would be a still sensible trade for Mike to pay that much for Trey Turner because he is that good in my mind. Uh, so I think just the, the ad from Jerwin's side tipped the scale for me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's close. I don't think this is a slam dunk for either one. But I, I, I do lean... Jerwin's side just a just a little bit. I think part of it too is the Jerwin's keeper pool is pretty shallow, and I would Woodruff believe he's going to be a second rounder round next year. I think rounder. next year, yeah, it's still probably worth it. I mean, it's not like a huge discount, but it's worth it. But it's pick, just like it's probably worth eh, it. Okay, <laughs> you Tim know. Anderson should be a good should be a good keeper. So this helps a little bit in that regard yeah. too. All right, let's move on to the last trade of the week. This one happened earlier today. Jake, you gave up Noah Syndergaard, Ranger Suarez, and Gavin Lux, and Mike gave up Trevor Story and Mike Clevenger. I'll kick us off again. Uh, I am not head over heels for any single player in this trade of all five of them. I like every single one of them to different extents for different reasons. But there isn't one guy in this trade that I'm like, that's the best player in the trade. So that leaves me saying, I know we don't do this often. I think we normally give an indication of like, okay, 
this of course has time to play out and age differently than what we think, but this is how I lean initially. I don't really lean to one side or the other initially on this one. I think that this is just an even trade. What are your thoughts? What was the thought I mean, I, process I lean my, behind it? I lean in my side because I made the trade. <laughs> well, yes. I, I guess what I meant was what was the thought process behind the deal for you? Okay, so like I I was also I'm also not really infatuated with anybody in this trade. I know that Cindergard's results have been good, but he kind of feels like a trap. Is he he is he's Cindergard at this point, like basically in name only. Uh it's fast is like 94 right now it's it's weird with him because it, on one hand you got to be worried about the the velocity but like on the other hand maybe he's actually learning how to pitch and he's gotten to this he's had to get to the stage because his pitch his pitch mix is way different now slider is he's starting more than ever and even that is a different pitch because that's way down on the velocity as well but anyways he feels kind of like a trap to me I, I don't know. It, it could, that could bite me. Maybe maybe it is like before he's always a threat. I called him a thrower, not a pitcher. Maybe he's finally learning how to pitch. And by, by what I mean by that is maybe he's actually, instead of like rearing back and like, here's my fastball, try to hit it. He's like, he actually is forced to locate it now. And he's actually forced to locate his slider, whereas before he just kind of relied on the stuff and just threw it. But I don't know. I, I liked Clevenger a lot preseason. Uh, he's very fragile, so I don't even know how much mileage I'm going to get out of him. Lux has looked good so far this year, but a very limited sample size, especially against the lefties, which was sort of his downfall anyways. He has not gotten a whole lot of run against them yet, so I, I think and Apparently that's... you're a big Ranger Suarez hater. Quick oh, yeah. turn on that. Ranger, okay, that. so just a quick, just a quick story. After I made the pick, I guess I let out some sort of sigh or I was making a face or something because Jordan next to me is like, you didn't like that pick. It's like, no, I don't know why I made that. So I regretted it immediately, which why do, why did I, why did I make the pick? Who knows if I didn't like, I didn't like Ranger Suarez beforehand. I don't really know why I made the pick. I think he was just (laughs) the last one in my tier. And I was like, I should probably get a reliever here. Yeah, but yeah, so it's all the the picks that you regret like immediately after clicking draft. Those rarely work out, and uh, that one didn't feel like it did either. But I, I think that Ranger Suarez is kind of just just a guy. He's a jag. He's just uh, you can roll him out there, and he'll get you like seven to twelve points every time. Sure, that's Mike- about it. Mike must be going all in on Ranger Suarez because he traded. I mean, he must be going all in on Ranger Suarez and all out on Brandon Woodruff because he now in the last two weeks in two leagues that we are both in with him, he has traded Brandon Woodruff away and traded for Ranger Suarez. So I don't know if Mike's seeing something or if that just happens to be a coincidence, but Maybe it'd be interesting to know if, if he's listening. Mike, if you're listening, feel free to throw a text in the group chat if that just happens to be a coincidence or I don't know. Just be curious to know. Okay, so our main segment this week is going to be focused on the teams that are off to a slow start. And the segment is called Panic 
or patience. So one by one, we're going to go through the bottom five teams in the standings. I kind of made the cutoff at below 500. So we're going through the bottom five teams in the standings, starting with the very bottom, which is currently Brendan. He is at 0-6, Buxton Revenge Tour. We're going to tell you whether in their shoes we would be panicked or have some patience. So first up is Brendan Buxton Revenge Tour. He is 0-6 in the East Division. Jake, if you're Brendan right now, are you panicking or do you think that you would try to have some patience? This was a tough one because on one hand, like I don't think his roster is that bad, but on the other hand, like uh, no, I'm in the I'm in the East Division, and like every team is very good. So him being farther behind early, like I'm, it's going to be tougher to make up that ground. You're going to have to win a lot of head-to-head matchups against some very tough teams. So I guess I guess I'll lean a little more panic. Uh, Rendon has not been good thus far. Betts has been Betts has been okay. He's starting to trend up now, but uh, Paul Goldschmidt's another one who's not performing real well. Uh, and I know that he's healthy right now, but you got to think like it's only a matter of time before Byron Buxton goes down again. And that's pretty much your he's been your best hitter to this point. On the pitching side, like I I really like Kershaw a lot. Bassett Bassett has been awesome. Uh, I actually kind of like Chris Paddock. Uh, I don't love Chris Paddock, but he's been, he's exceeded expectations, which were basically, you know, underground, but, uh, Freddie Peralta, you gotta be a little concerned about, about him. The control hasn't been great and, uh, don't have a whole lot of pitching depth to to work with. So I know that he has Baz, Heaney and Snell all on the, on the injured list, but none of those guys, I know Snell's look is going to return pretty soon, but. Uh, this is also, it's also a recurring injury for him. So I don't know how long he's going to last. Uh, it's nice to have those reinforcements, but uh, are you going to be still in it when they get here? Uh, I guess a lot more, I, I don't like, I don't hate the roster. It's just, it's tough to be in that, to, to make up ground in the, the East division. Well, he just picked up control artist, Mitch Keller this morning. So there's that. <laughs> Mitch Keller is a fraud. I... It was so frustrating for me to, because I've basically rostered him for all of his starts so far this year. It's so frustrating because he's good in one start, he's bad in the next, he's good in the next, he's bad in the next. I, I think he has a lot of skill, but I don't think that this is his year. So I just had to move. I don't on. know. I mean, hopefully for Brendan's sake, he figures it out. I wouldn't mind that, even though I dropped him, because that means there's room for, you know, there's reason to be excited. For as a Pirates fan, but hopefully he figures it out. For me, uh, it was de- it's definitely panic. Uh, he's 0-6 in an absolute gauntlet of a, of a division, and his most valuable keepers also happen to be his best contributors, meaning in my mind, he would need to get a substantial overpay from a seller to make them worth moving. Like, if he's going to trade By- Byron Buxton, who, like you said, is his best hitter, what the heck is he going to get back that's improving his team? Like He'd have to get a lot back to improve his team this year and to lose the incredible keeper value. And his only star player otherwise, like aside from his keepers, is Mookie Betts. 
So it's not like he has a ton of, I guess, trade ammo to, to change up the, the format of his team. So for Brendan, I would definitely be panicking right now. I actually came up with an action item for Brendan. And I think that he... I guess I alluded to this style of trade a little bit ago, but I think he should trade Mookie Betts for an ace and a solid offensive piece. I think that that's what he should try to target. I said that I wouldn't be surprised if Trey Turner alone or maybe Trey Turner in a very small piece landed Brandon Woodruff and Tim Anderson. I think that that's the caliber of deal that I'd be looking for if I was Brendan right now. So... There's an action item for you, Brendan. If you're if you are agreeing with us that it might be time to panic. Let's move on to Big Money Mike, who is currently one and five in the West Division. Jake, with Mike's team, are you panicking or would you have some patience? It doesn't even matter for Mike's team because he's gonna trade everybody away regardless, but I, I guess <laughs> his is tough because he has so many injured players and he's already behind, but I'm going to say, I mean, it's a patience for the time being, which feels like, again, it feels like a stupid thing to even say, because it's not going to happen, but like, you got to give, you got Acuna is not performing well right now. You got to give him some time. Uh, I know he just traded away. Uh, Clevenger, so I guess I can't talk about him. But <laughs> Castillo, he's he's been he's hurt. Who knows when he's going to come back? Like, there's only so much shuffling you can do, waiting for the waiting around for these guys to return. You know, because like you're you're just not going to get many. Like you're not. Like, all these guys are, are these are a lot of his studs are just hurt or like you know you see Trevor Bauer he's suspended he's gone. I don't I, I guess maybe I'm making it sound like it should be panic. Eighth round pick totally lost, totally lost. Yeah, that's, that hurts. That hurts. It does. I mean, if it makes him feel any better, I drafted Trevor Bauer as my eighth round pick in the dynasty startup a couple weeks ago. That hurts a lot. <laughs> Arguably, that hurts even more. Yeah. It was a 15-team league. I think it was... Oh, boy. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I was thinking, like, okay, I don't really expect him to pitch this year. So I drafted Glass now, too, thinking, okay, my pitching rotation is going to be awesome next year. And then MLB just took a crap on that idea. (laughs) Anyway... Let's not get hung up on Trevor Bauer. I agree with you. Even I know you built the case kind of opposite, almost leading to believe that Mike should panic. But I said that he should be patient. Pretty, It was a pretty easy call for me because Mike has one of the few teams with a pretty long list relative to everyone else of star players. In Trey Turner now, Luis Robert, Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis Jr. And a personal pick of mine, I know you're probably going to roll your eyes at this, but Pablo Lopez, I think that he is one of the next most exciting young pitchers in the game. He just got Acuna back, which should help him pick it up, even though he's struggling so far. Uh, But he is still well over a month away from getting Tatis back. I think the best course of action for him, given the state of the division he's in, the weaker division, which is the West, 
I think he should hold on to Tatis and not trade him, even though that's what we're all expecting him to do at some point. And he would potentially have uh, three top five hitters all on the same team with Trey Turner, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Fernando Tatis Jr. I think that that is what you want when you go into the playoffs. That's what you hope to land through like deadline and getting a hold of the sellers. He already has it, so I think he should just sit on that. Yeah, I know we've kind of pooped on the, uh, the West Division here, but Mike is in de- definitely in a different spot than Brendan is, where Mike might be able to afford to wait and like hover around 500 if he's lucky and still be able to sneak into the playoffs, whereas that's not happening in the other division. The only I, I will say for the other side, the only reason for pause is that as much as I love Pablo Lopez, <laughs> like that's looking like Mike's best pitcher right now. And I, I love me some Pablo Lopez, but he's not he's not a guy that I want as my SP one. So could be a reason for concern for Mike, but we're both saying be patient. Next team is Courtney, who has the same record and is in the same division as Mike's team, Team C Deemer, which a lot of this could probably change if she just named her team. That's what I said. You know, give her give her guys a jersey to be proud to wear. Yeah, you know what I mean. They're they're totally demoralized. <laughs> With Courtney's team, I'm also saying patience. Part of it is because I actually believe that she should be patient. Another part of it is the actually ex- the exact opposite of what you mentioned with Mike is that I know Courtney's not going to panic and make trades like she she just doesn't trade ever. Love it or hate it, she doesn't trade. So I guess I'm just telling her to do what she's already going to do. I will say in in truth this one was tough like if i'm taking out the personality of the manager because i want to say panic given that her performance as a fantasy manager has trended down pretty severely over the past few seasons going from you know winning two championships was it in a row jake were you guys sandwiched where you started it off she won two in a row and then you yes won the fourth she went from winning two in a row to her, her performance has basically dropped every year since. And that's not a, not to say that like she's a bad manager, but we're so far this year kind of starting to see her hit rock bottom with her team's performance. So for me, just kind of seeing that long downward trending slope, like I would want to turn it around, you know, pretty starkly. So I would maybe panic if I was actually like managing her team. But I know she's not going to do that. So I said patience because to the other point of that, I do like the framework of her team a lot. Her only real holes are at left field in her bullpen. You you could argue third base, but I still personally believe that Justin Turner is going to be a viable third base option rest of season. If anything, I think that if there was an action item for Courtney, uh, I, I would think that she should consider trading one of her good, not great bats for a stabilizer in her bullpen because as we've discussed in the group chat recently relief pitching can definitely kill you under our current scoring system and she basically just has Lorenz in there in the bullpen and nobody else that's that's somebody that you would want what's your philosophy with Courtney's roster I'm kind of in a similar spot as you I actually don't hate the roster like even like Lindor 
before. I didn't like preseason, but he's been pretty good to this point, surprisingly. Uh, Harper's, I mean, this is probably his floor, just with the walk rate and strikeout rate being so, and the gap between those being so wide right now. But I just, I, Reese Hoskins has been really good, but his the results haven't really been there. And I, I see a lot of guys kind of like that. Like, I'm not really worried about Wheeler with his velocity trending back up. Uh, Montas, I think, is terrific. He's gotten he's gotten a little unlucky to this point. Darvish is always going to be up and down. I, she just has a lot of guys that, like, I'm not really like, – they have, the results haven't really been there, but I'm not really worried about. So, I, I was – she needs she, – I think she should make – probably do something with the bullpen because doesn't really have anybody there. Even Lorenzen's a little shaky, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's just like, I, I don't see, I don't see the ceiling right now of like a Mike's team, but I think the the floor should be, should be higher than it is than it has been going forward. Like, I think she could easily trade say like a Jose Abreu or a good, not great relief pitcher option. I mean, maybe nobody's buying him right now because Jose Abreu is struggling right now, but that's the kind of caliber of a bat that I'm thinking Courtney can move to to try to mend the hole elsewhere on her roster. So it's it's like one yeah, of those I, situations I where like, if you're not making a major move, I would definitely lean that that means that you're taking a patient approach. So I think that she should, yeah. in all reality, take like a middle ground where she makes, you know, a mid-size to small move just to adjust a little bit. Yeah. I guess if we're defining uh, like panic as like this, like there's a, there's a roster shakeup that probably needs to happen. Like on whatever degree you want to say it, but like, I don't really see that here. Like I, like the overall roster, I think is fine. There are some minor moves. Like you were saying, it would probably be good though. Yep. That brings us to Jerwin's team, team positivity. Who is currently two and four, and he is in the West Division. So he is sitting just outside of a locked in playoff spot right now. I know it's super early in the season, but just giving you some context. I'll lead us off again. I I still remain that Jerwin should panic. I I like the activity level that I have seen. Like that is something that I like a lot that I've seen from Jerwin. And I think that it's shown that he's kind of responded to my thoughts, some of the thoughts that Nick shared on his team that we've made here on the podcast by making multiple moves this week. And this is a weird situation for me where I, I like the players that he's brought in, which, you know, they're Woodruff, Daniel Bard, and Tim Anderson, but I'm not so sure that he could afford to lose the anchor of his team in Trey Turner. You know, in the end, his options to bring in star players without moving Trey Turner were likely none because we've already talked about his lack of star pieces to start the season. But I think where that leaves him right now is I think that that means Jaron's going to have to do something different than what he has ever done before, which is kind of take the Nick Nate approach the meat grinder trade happy approach to to kind of take his way from i don't want to say in shambles like all is not lost with his team but take his team from you know lower caliber relative to the rest of the league 
to what you want by playoff time is just an overall solid team. I think for Jerwin, he does not have enough ammo to do that in few moves right now. I think it's going to be a long process of you see a guy get hot on the waiver wire, you pick him up, and you either see him sustain that and you keep him on your team, or you're able to flip him. And you're, you're kind of doing this whole barter system where you start with a penny, you work your way up to a dollar. I know that that seems to be my typical approach. Nick kind of has a similar approach. I think that that would really benefit Jerwin this year. I think that he needs to panic and start looking at a strategy like that. What do you think, Jake? Uh, I think that you're not far off. The, the offense isn't, isn't good. That's going to need a lot of work. And I don't think that the, the waiver wire strategy that's going on right now it's just, that, that can work in the playoffs when you have the pitching staff that he that he has. Uh, like that could work over short bursts, but I don't, that's just not a sustainable strategy all year. And that's even in the playoffs, like you're normally only covering up like maybe one or two holes late like when that happens. You're not you're really benching, you know, like a stud for a uh, for a waiver wire guy. Like you're only really filling. Maybe like two lineup spots, but with like you said with Jerwin's team, it's like four or five that are all arguably waiver wire guys. And that's it's hard to find five hitters that are waiver wire caliber that are hot every single week. Like that just doesn't seem real sustainable to me. Uh, the pitching staff's really good. I would really regret dropping Eric Lauer. That was not not fun, but. Uh, I don't know if I want to say panic, but he, I think that it, there does need to be an increased activity level where he's kind of trading his way up, and there needs to be a lot of work done on the offensive side because having so many waiver wire players in your starting lineup with really no backup plan, like the, the plan right now just looks like to be you're going to cycle through waiver players. That's not sustainable all year especially as we get deeper into the year when there's going to be let like the, the players that are good are going to get picked up and they're not going to be on waivers anymore. So it's going to be less talent as the year goes on available and a lot of, a lot of holes to still cycle through. So, yeah, I think he needs to, I think he does need to make some, make some moves on the, on the offensive end, especially. So we're at a panic on Jaron. I think we've agreed on every everybody so far. Panic for Brendan, patience for Mike, patience for Courtney, panic for Jaron. I don't want to say full panic for Jaron though, because he does also like he has the Grom still waiting in the wings, and I'm forcing you uh, to pick one. All right, I'll say panic then because I'm closer <laughs> to yours. I I think we might. There's a chance. I guess we'll see. We might disagree for the last team, which is Scott's team, team no name. Scott is currently two and four, uh, which is not awful, but he is in the East Division, which is awful, as in awfully hard to climb into that top three. And actually, Jake, I think I totally botched the top three in the standings because I'm now seeing that JC is actually in third place, not your team. So apologies to JC if he's listening. JC, the NFTs, is the third place team in the East Division with a four and two record. So get out of here, Jake. You're in fourth place. Scott's team 
is in fifth place with a two and four record. Jake, I'm going to let you kick off Scott's team. If you're him, are you having panic right now? Or are you being patient? Oh boy. Um, I would love to be patient and be like, I have studs waiting around when Julio Rodriguez, Bobby Witt Jr., Spencer Torkelson and CJ Abrams, they're going to be fine and they're going to be great. I guess Jared Kalenic might be okay. But uh, I just look at the pitching staff and I'm like, man, that is brutal. Just brutal. Relievers are good. Hater has been car- basically carrying the whole thing. I think Nola's fine. I'm probably lower on Nola than a lot of people, but after that, it's just, it's like the anti Jared one where there's, like three spots that I could see three out of five starting pitcher spots where I don't see a permanent contributor and it's just going to be cycling in and out. And the options there are the options currently, I should say, I, I don't love it. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say panic on the pitching end. I think that he needs to, I think that he needs some moves need to be made there because, uh, like, I don't think you can go through the whole year with, with a lot of the options that he has. And uh, pitching is notoriously hard to find on waivers. This is the first time we disagree, Jake. I'm going to say Scott should be patient. This was another tough one because Scott is in that same division that I condemned Brendan to panic for. But I was and still am high on the potential of Scott's roster, especially once he gets healthy Jonathan India and Teoscar Hernandez back who by the way like I don't love either of those guys in points format like I think their ceiling is better served in rotisserie style but there's still difference making contributors like those are still guys that you would like to have on your team as starters um once he gets those guys back he's then going to have an offense that boasts JT Real Muto, Jonathan India, Nolan Arenado, Wonder Franco Julio Rodriguez and Teoscar Hernandez. That's that's a lot of guys that are, you know, I don't know if any of them is a true fantasy superstar besides Franco. I know Arenado is very hot to start the year. I don't expect him to be a top five hitter this year, but those are all good players. And at that point, I'm thinking, you know, I I say Julio Rodriguez because I'm not worried in the slightest about him. I know that his fantasy output has not been good so far. But he is showing me everything that I need to see to know that he is going to be a difference maker. And and I think that that's going to come soon. But at that point, you know, when all of those guys are healthy and in his lineup, I think that he's only really going to need one of Spencer Torkelson, C.J. Abrams, or Bobby Wood Jr. to wake up. Kellenick, I think you're... I think I've come to the end of my rope with him. I think he's a drop. Pretty obvious to me at this point that he is a bust. And I kind of feel bad for anybody that has invested in him over the past two years in a dynasty context because he cost a lot to get um, as recently as last year. And that's not to say like Kellenick is going to be bad for the rest of his career. There's always people that turn it around. But as of right now, there's nothing at all that Jared Kellenick has shown that tells me that he is going to be a fan, a rosterable fantasy player anytime soon. Here's the one part that I think that really is driving our disagreement, Jake. I think that Scott's pitching is good, not great. Uh, But with the caveat that to me right now, he doesn't really have any holes. And I think that that's a big plus. 
like Adrian Hauser, Cole Irvin, Miles Michaelis. Those are not attractive names. I agree with you. But they're producing right now. Adrian Hauser, not so much. He's only averaging just under 11 points per game. But there's nobody sticking out like a sore thumb when you're evaluating current production. So if that works for Scott, you know, I don't I, I agree with you. They're not permanent fixtures in the lineup. But if that's working for him right now, until somebody breaks through on the offense or until somebody wants to buy on these super prospects as a seller and gives him the pitcher that he's looking for, like, you know, I'm all for that if I'm Scott. Like, do what works because you have a lot of ammo to potentially trade in terms of keepers that are not going... Here's, here's the difference between Brendan and Scott. I mentioned that Brendan's keepers are also his biggest contributors. Scott's biggest keepers... I mean, of course, Wander Franco and Julio Rodriguez, who I think is going to be a pretty big contributor, are two of his best keepers, but he still has guys like Spencer Torkelson, C.J. Abrams. If anybody out there still believes in Jared Kelenic, those are guys that you're subtracting nothing from Scott's team production to trade away. And then I still think that you could probably fetch something decent in return, like decent in terms of fantasy relevance. So that's why I'm being patient if I'm Scott. Anything to add? What's the difference between his team and Jerwin's team? Because like, sure, Adrian Hauser, Irvin, Michaelis, those guys are contributing right now. Like, what on his roster? Like, I don't see any of these guys really as permanent options. Maybe Michaelis can be like a serviceable guy who you throw in there when the matchup is right. He's definitely performing right now. But the difference, I I, the difference to me, I don't is really am, see it's ammo. Who, who, like, if you're, if you're, say, we fast forward two months to the deadline, you're a seller. Who on Jerwin's team? that's not already a super stud contributor in his lineup, are you targeting as a keeper? Grayson Rodriguez, maybe? Is there anybody else? No, that's that's fair. I just, I like, he also has to make, like, the, the roster under its current construction, I guess, like, I don't know that this is really sustainable. And Jerowin can afford to be around that 500 mark and I think still be okay, whereas I don't know that Scott can. Yeah, I think maybe a philosophical difference in this segment for you and I is I'm not like I am, of course, evaluating current production, but I'm also evaluating ammo to be able to improve your team. And regardless of how Bobby Witt or Spencer Torkelson or CJ Abrams perform, like I still think that there are going to be sellers out there come deadline time that are going to be interested in, in acquiring these guys. So I think that that's really where the difference lies between, you know, I guess how we approach this segment. I think Scott has plenty of ammo to work with and ammo that wouldn't hurt him to part with. So I guess that's where I'm coming from with this one. That's fair. But that is your panic or patience. Let's move on to our matchup preview, looking ahead to week four. Jake, what is your thing to watch for this week? Uh, my thing to watch for this week is for hitting to start uh, start to rebound because we're starting to get to that point where the weather is getting warmer 
even though it doesn't feel like that sometimes. And uh, it is about this time of year, every year, that hitting starts to starts to rebound. I know that it's been kind of tough sledding for a lot of the a lot of the studs around the league, and basically offense as a whole. I remember reading a Fangraphs article that um, that offense to this point was like historically low, and uh, basically the league average offense at this point was career Kevin Newman, which you know it's not good. But it's about this time of year when it starts to rebound, and like we're going to start to see that happening soon. Well, we're going to look to start for that to start happening soon. My thing to watch for is pretty particular. I'm looking to see if two guys who have somewhat perplexed me so far this year continue their dominance, and those two guys being J.P. Crawford and Eric Lauer. Those are just go two guys that were totally not on my radar coming into the season. But they have been pretty dominant so far, so I'm I'm interested to see if like they're just fake outs. But matchup predictions: my matchup record so far this year is pretty awful. It's five and seven, as I mentioned earlier. Both Jake and our guest uh, record are sitting at eight and four. So doing pretty well so far this year. First matchup of the week is weak pullout hitter versus the NFTs. JC versus Sam. Jake, who do you have in this one? I boxed myself in, so I'm just going to pick Sam. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that's I also I also have Sam winning this matchup. But JC's team is, has been doing well, for sure. Second matchup of the week, Demons in the infield versus Big Money Mike. Who are you picking to win this one? I'm picking your team to win this one. All right, I'm picking my team as well. Hopefully, hopefully we turn it around. I don't like to be at a 500 record. Third matchup of the week, Team Positivity versus Gone Forever. I'm picking Eddie to win this matchup. No surprise there. How about you? I'm also picking Eddie. You seem like you, you took exception to how I said that. <laughs> uh I think it's a little bit closer. Like Eddie's team hasn't been totally dominant, but like, I still think it's like, yeah, still good. I think it'll be closer than like, I don't think it'll be a blowout or anything. I think you're underrating Eddie's team, which was one I, of your I big think. takeaways. I might be. Fourth matchup of the week is Jake's fantasy baseball team versus team no name. Jake, I have your team winning this matchup. How about you? I had my I have my team winning this matchup too, although those absolute bums, Ranger Suarez and Charlie Morton, have looked terrible so far. Those are my two star pitchers, so not what you like to see. Did Suarez pitch tonight or is he currently pitching tonight? He currently he well, he's not in the game anymore, but uh oh, it was the very mediocre. I see it now. Yeah. He's just not a strikeout pitcher and he doesn't really give you volume. Like we just saw a crazy fake out flash at the end of last season. He has just not been that guy this year at all. It makes me mad though, because I wasn't faked out. I made a stupid pick. I had him like way lower than I saw a lot of people were higher on him. I don't know why I picked him there. <laughs> Maybe just wanted to get in on the hype, that FOMO. I, I, I looking back, I'm totally baffled. The fifth matchup of the week is Team C. Deemer versus the Walk Institute of Research. Who do you have in this matchup, Jake? I've still boxed myself. I boxed myself in again 
last week by declaring that Cordy would not win a game until she changed her team name. So I'm going with Jordan. I hope she gets back at you by not changing her name ever. You just have to pick her every week or pick against her every week, I should say. Be funny. There might uh, be a little bit of spite there. I also have the, Jordan uh, winning this one. Yeah. With the not changing the name. Yeah. <laughs> I have Jordan winning this one too. So probably wouldn't have influenced your pick this week, at least. The last matchup of the week Freedom All Stars versus Buxton Revenge Tour. No surprise again. We have the undefeated team versus the winless team. I'm taking the undefeated team. I'm taking Freedom All Stars. What about you, Jake? Yeah, I'll take Nick too. This is a really boring segment. This is very boring, but that's okay. We should, that's okay. We should not. We should not do this in the future. Well, gotta try. By not do, try. might not do this. I mean, not pick all the same. same. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Around the league portion of the podcast, Jake, hit us with your league history fact of the week. All right, so the league history fact is, well, offense around the league has lagged, as I said. The same can't really be said for Nick's offense so far this season. Uh, With 532.9 hitter points this season going into this week, uh, Nick is currently on pace to break the single-season record for total hitter points held by the 2019 Jake's Fantasy Baseball team. But he has to keep up this pace because he's – can't can't lag at all. He wants to have a shot at that record. There you go. Jake, I see that annoyingly we have five minutes left on this Zoom meeting. Let's try to speed through news and notes in just five minutes. Yeah, that works for me. Top prospects, Jose Miranda and MJ Melendez, received the call by their organizations over the weekend and into Monday. There's always reason, of course, to be excited about potential with guys like these. Jake, do you foresee the rare immediate impact in either of these two guys' bats? No, but it's worth a shot anyways. You could add uh, Juan Yepes to the list as well, first base prospect for the Cardinals. He just got called up tonight, but I agree with you. Don't think that these two are going to buck the trend, but always worth the upside, like Jake said. Quick welcome back to Jose Altuve, who had a hamstring injury. Sonny Gray, I just saw that he is supposed to make one more rehab start. He was originally supposed to come back this Friday to pitch in the majors, but he'll be coming back soon also with a hamstring. And Mike Clevenger with a knee injury. He's returning, was supposed to be tonight, but the game got postponed. He'll probably pitch tomorrow. Each of these players, it, well, I was going to say they were all rostered by struggling teams, but of course you just traded for Mike Clevenger. However, let's pretend that that didn't happen. Which individual of the three would you expect to provide the biggest boost to a struggling team? Uh, Altuve is the best player, so I'll just go with him. Okay. See you later, Chris Bryant, who went on the injured list with a back injury. Jonathan India, who re-aggravated a hamstring injury. Nicola Dolo with a back strain. And Andrew Heaney, who was already hurt. But Dave Roberts came out and said that it is going to be a long recovery process. Jake, which of these guys is the toughest loss for fantasy? Uh, Bryant, because third base is a wasteland. I'm going to go Heaney there. I was very excited. Like, I don't have him anywhere, but just excited to see if he could actually be, you know, somewhat like this year's Robbie Ray. That's a bummer that we don't get to see that. See you soon, Blake Snell who's going to be coming back shortly from a groin injury. Ryan Presley coming back from a knee injury. And Luis Castillo, I know he has a couple more rehab starts on deck, but coming back from a shoulder injury. Jake, given the warranted concern with each, 
Will these guys be right, like be themselves, be difference-making fantasy assets when they come back? Uh, I'm going to say no because Blake Snell, already, Blake Snell and Castillo, I already had I already had worries with, and Ryan Presley didn't really look like himself beforehand. So okay. I think it'll take some time. And let's end the episode with a touchy subject, but it was big news. Trevor Bauer was suspended by Major League Baseball for two years starting this past week. So, Jake, opinions on the specific details of Bauer's situation aside, because every you know, you ask a hundred different people, they'll have a hundred different opinions. You think that this was fair in the sense that should all guys involved in these intense, high-caliber allegations be suspended for this long? So, are you saying all like I? I would be fine suspending any guy that's involved in like the domestic violence stuff for a long time, but. This one was too long, given the given how long the other ones were. Yep. So you're with me. I, I, you could suspend them for as long as you want to. That that part is not like you wouldn't get argument from me if you spent suspended all of them for two years. But keep it consistent. Like it's obvious that Trevor Bauer was suspended for much longer because he has come after the league office many times before. This one is interesting, and this is what we'll end the episode with, Jake. Do you think that Trevor Bauer will ever throw a pitch? In Major League Baseball again, I'm gonna say no. I think that he's he's ticked off enough people that nobody's willing to take a chance on him at this point. There you have it. That is our fifth episode. We will be back next week. I think we're having Jerwin on. It's gonna be an exciting episode. Gonna be probably a long one. We're gonna do some pitcher rankings debates. We're gonna do some hitter rankings debates. It should be a good one. But until next week. For Jake Deemer, I am Nate Andres, and we will catch you on the next one. Yert.